This is Everyday Wellness, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve your health and wellness goals and provide practical strategies that you can use in your real life. And now, here is your host, nurse practitioner Cynthia Thurlow. Today, I'm delighted to have Dr. Debbie Silver. She's a holistic psychologist, a health, mindset, and personal development expert, and the author of the number one best-selling book, The Unshakable Woman, Four Steps to Rebuilding Your Body, Mind, and Life After a Life Crisis. Her recent PhD study on how women experience betrayal made three groundbreaking discoveries that changed how long it takes to heal. In addition to being on Fox, CBS, The Dr. Oz Show, TEDx, and more, she's an award-winning speaker, coach, and author dedicated to helping women move past their betrayals once and for all. She's also a good friend. Thank you so much for making time in your schedule to meet with me today. Oh, I'm so looking forward to our conversation. Yeah. And I think, you know, the one thing that I think is so important about your research is that there's no one that's listening to this podcast that hasn't experienced at one point or another an issue with betrayal. And certainly for women, I would say the bulk of the individuals that are subscribed to the podcast are women. And so let's kind of spin through this. I know they call you the Brene Brown of betrayal, which I think is such an ample title, but, you know, let's kind of like unpack what betrayal is, you know, why does it hurt? What does it impact? And what does it actually create ultimately? Because as we were talking before we started recording, a lot of people get stuck. And so let's kind of talk a little bit about this. And I'm sure that people will find this incredibly valuable. You know, let's start with this. I define betrayal as the breaking of a spoken or unspoken rule. And every relationship has them. The way it works is the more we trust and depend on someone, the deeper the betrayal. So for example, a child Mm -hmm. who's completely dependent on their parent, and then the parent does something awful, that's going to have a different impact than let's say your best friend sharing your secret. Still a betrayal, but not to the same degree, won't have the same physical, mental, emotional symptoms, but every relationship has rules. Think about it. We even had an agreement today. I was going to show up. We were going to have a conversation. If I didn't, I would have betrayed you. Chances are you wouldn't have been shattered, but there you go. There's an example of it. And it has so many faces and it could be your best friend. It could be, you know, let's say a coworker who takes credit for your idea, a partner who has an affair. It's someone in a position of authority. So it's so widespread. Why does it hurt so much? Because these were the people who gave us that sense of safety and security. You know, when everybody else was doing things or saying things, you can run back to this sense of safety and security where it's like, okay, don't worry, I got you. And when that's the very person who shatters that sense of safety, safety and security, it's completely traumatizing. And there's a lot of cleanup that's needed in its wake. You know, and it's interesting, I'm a child of divorce. And so when you were providing that explanation, I really thought a lot about one of my parents who, you know, I think there's this cycle that people get into, you know, they learn from their families and, and that becomes their normal. And so, you know, for me growing up, you know, my mom was the one that was dependable and my dad was not. And it's interesting how those micro traumas that you experience as a child will, will show up in your personal life. And so I'm making this really personal today saying that for me, because I didn't really have the support of my father and he was very emotionally abusive and an alcoholic and all those things, what that turned me into is a more resilient person. So I always say those gifts are a gift and a blessing, but those micro traumas sometimes will like rear their heads. Like as a parent, it is 
uh, especially as my children are getting older, I find that I really have to work on my stuff, which keeps coming up kind of like reflux keeps coming up. And so, you know, I'm sure that you have a whole identification system of how those things feel and, you know, how we manifest the physical symptoms of trauma for me, you know, it's that fight or flight response. Cause I go back to what it was like as a child. So let's kind of touch on that. Cause I think, you know, people kind of assume it's just this emotional component, but very clearly there's a physical component that may in fact be stronger. I would imagine, you know, that drive or that tra- those micro traumas you've experienced that kind of throw your body into back into fight or flight. You know, definitely. And what's so interesting about what you said, we really have two ways we can go about this. We can keep choosing the same type of person because it's so familiar, or we can say, well, that just absolutely didn't serve. And what I'm going to do is do everything in my power to not repeat that. And no one will show you how you're showing up like your kids. And it's such a beautiful example because, you know, you were saying about how, you know, the work you're doing with your kids. And it's so true. I have four kids and each one of them, I know exactly how to repeat some of the things with my family betrayal. But instead, I almost act as if I'm dyslexic and I know how it would come out if I didn't stop myself. And I kind of unjumble the words and say things differently. Then it's, you know, then what we're doing is we're taking that experience and using it really to help the next generation. That's the beauty of it. So it stops with us. But to answer your question, the study that I did, there were three discoveries that were made. And I studied betrayal. And just to back up, I had a family betrayal and you know how the universe works. I didn't quite learn all the lessons I was meant to learn. So I got another opportunity. And this time it was my husband. And I looked at both of those experiences saying, what's common here? And the commonality was me. You know, I was never on my own to-do list. It was about everybody else, four kids, six dogs, a thriving business. And I was like, no, I'm now it's my turn. So I enrolled in a PhD program. I mean, that's just I don't know. I was like, that's what I wanted to do. And it was in transpersonal psychology, the psychology of transformation to human potential. Anyway, did a study, made three discoveries. One of them, and this is to your point, was that there is this collection of physical, mental, and emotional symptoms so common to betrayal. It's now known as post-betrayal syndrome. And we've had over 10,000 people in the last year and a half, take our post-betrayal syndrome quiz. And I actually, every couple of months, I pull some stats just to see where everybody is. And I thought this would really benefit your audience. So this is every age group, almost every country is represented here. And these, some of these stats are just, were so startling to me. So I just want to share some with you. Uh, 78% constantly revisit their experience. 94% deal with painful triggers. These are some of the physical symptoms, just the physical, ready? 71% have low energy, 68% have sleep issues, 63% extreme fatigue, 47% have weight changes up or down, and 45% have digestive issues. Now think of that. And I thought this was so interesting when you think about the digestive system. First of all, isn't like 80% of your immune system in your gut So you could just see how one thing affects the other affects the other. And I remember in the study, it was anything from constipation, diarrhea, IBS, Crohn's, you name it. This trauma affects us in in a debilitating way. 
Now here are just some mental symptoms. 78% are overwhelmed, 70% in disbelief, 64% in shock, 62% are unable to concentrate. So mix, let's say, a gut issue now you have with an inability to concentrate. And here you are supposed to be working and raising your kids, whatever it is you're doing. And I'll just add some emotional ones to that as if it weren't bad enough, right? 88% have deep sadness and 83% are angry. Just mix sadness and anger together. That's exhausting. 82% feel hurt. 80% have anxiety. 79% are stressed. Here's why I wrote my latest book with these next few. And then I'll stop. 84% have an inability to trust. Think about how that affects life every aspect of life. 67% are preventing themselves from forming deep relationships because they're afraid of being hurt again. 82% find it hard to move forward and 90% want to move forward, but they don't know how. You know, when people are stuck in this kind of inertia, you know, I would imagine some of those people have a strong desire to move beyond what's happened to them on any capacity. And then some people, you know, the resiliency piece, you know, you wonder what are the predictors? I'm sure you probably know But I know resiliency is certainly an indicator of the individuals that want to work through their stuff. I always say therapy throughout your lifetime is a very good investment. It's hard to do. You know, I'm always in and out myself working through my stuff. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I think a lot of people that are listening, you know, just the physical, emotional, just those two. So if you are stuck in flight or flight where your body thinks you're being chased by a saber tooth tiger, you can't digest your food. You can't concentrate. You can't do anything because you're stuck in that limbic lizard brain. Like I tell my children, I'm like, you know, don't use your lizard brain. Let's use your frontal lobe, but you can't even access your frontal lobe because, you know, your body is really feels like it's in danger. And Mm -hmm. I can imagine where that would be hugely problematic. So I guess one of the things that always occurs to me is, you know, when do you get to a point where, you know, you're stuck in the muck and you can't work through it. And you're in a position where you really need to start seeking out more support than just working it out and talking to your friends. I always say your, your friends are, you know, friends and close family are always, you know, good sounding boards. But when do you get to a point where you've exceeded the threshold of your friends and family and it's time to really get connected with a professional? You know, I found it's not even necessarily that you're reaching out to your friends and family. It's who is the right person to speak to uh, and speak with in this type of scenario? Because what we found is, let's say the wrong therapist, someone who is not highly skilled in helping someone move through betrayal does more harm than good. Same thing with, let's say a close family member, or like here are a few scenarios. Someone may go to couples counseling. Let's say it's a husband and wife and let's take just a common scenario I see all the time. Let's say the husband, this is not to say this is the only scenario. This is one of a million, but let's just take the wife was betrayed by the husband. The husband is a narcissist. Okay, they go to couples counseling, she drags him, and this therapist isn't highly skilled. So now the narcissist is very charming, may even shed those crocodile tears. The therapist looks at the betrayed wife, says, you know, if you just really learn to communicate more, this is a communication issue. Now she's like, are you, I'm feeling like I'm crazy because yes, he's pouring on the charm, but this is not what's happening at home. This is not the reality. Or let's take that same couple and the mother-in-law. The mother-in-law just wants to know everybody's good. So she's like, come on, you're okay. You're okay, right? Or you go out and you see a friend and they're like, come on, get over it already. So the wrong type of support, although well-meaning, does more harm than good. 
you need, it's a combination of someone highly skilled, but also who knows where you are in this process. So if you're stuck, they know how to move you out. Do you find yourself struggling to get a good night's sleep? If so, you may be dealing with a hidden mineral deficiency. It is not at all uncommon in perimenopause and menopause to deal with sleep challenges. And we know that one of many contributory reasons for poor sleep can be a reduction in specific minerals that help regulate sleep quality, including magnesium, which is involved in GABA, which is our body's main calming neurotransmitter. We also know that we need potassium to create melatonin. And this is a hormone that is a master antioxidant, but is also utilized to help induce sleep. We also think about things like zinc, which can balance excitatory neurotransmitters like glutamate. And if it's overactive, meaning if your glutamate levels are too high, it can prevent your brain from becoming more relaxed and inducing sleep. And lastly, selenium increases both our deep sleep and sleep duration. All these minerals matter a lot for sleep and any imbalances or deficits can have a major impact on the quality of sleep you get each night. And that's why I love Beam Minerals. They offer a full spectrum mineral supplement that gives you every essential mineral your body needs in the right doses, all in a highly absorbable liquid form. All you do is take a shot of bean minerals about an hour before bed. Don't worry, it tastes like water. And you'll replenish all of your body's minerals in about 30 seconds and give your brain what it needs for deep restorative sleep. I've been using this product over the last several months. I've really been impressed with the improvement in my sleep metrics, which I like to share on social media with my followers. And if you want a simple way to improve your sleep, head over to www.beaminerals.com and use code Cynthia for 20% off your first order. That's www.beaminerals.com and use code Cynthia for 20% off your first order. At some point, we've all been sold a big fat lie. It's called the protein misconception. So starting in the 1980s, we all believed that more protein equated to more muscle growth. And I'm here to tell you it's a big misconception. This has a great deal to do that our body can only absorb protein that's broken down into smaller building blocks called amino acids. It doesn't matter if you're consuming 30 grams of protein or 300 grams of protein. If you don't have a sufficient supply of enzymes to digest the protein, your muscles will ultimately be unable to use these as vital building blocks. That's why it's crucial you take a high quality digestive enzyme. The one I trust and use myself is called Masszymes by Bi Optimizers. Masszymes is a full spectrum enzyme formula with more protease than any other commercially available product. Product with five different forms of protease. Plus, it contains all the other key enzymes you need for optimal digestion. If you're experiencing bloating, gas, or digestive distress, a contributing factor can be that your body is no longer producing as much digestive enzymes. And you can try Masszymes today, risk-free. They have a 365-day full money-back guarantee and is the gold standard in the industry. Go to biooptimizers.com slash Cynthia. That's B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com slash Cynthia and use promo code Cynthia10 for 10% off of any order. Again, that's promo code Cynthia10 for 10% off any order. 
And I think it goes with anything, you know, no healthcare provider, you know, if you take all the healthcare providers, both mental and physical healthcare providers, they're not all created equal. You got to do your research. It's really, really important. And so let's pivot a little bit. So, you know, I know, and I love that you did your research in this area because it's just so interesting. You've mentioned in your book about the five stages from betrayal to breakthrough. So let's kind of talk a little bit about that because I think that would really be interesting as people are kind of moving on this continuum as they're, you know, as they go from the realization through this entire process. You know, and when I talk about the five stages, I invite everybody to consider and really ask themselves, where am I? You will see so clearly where you are. And I'll share with you also where we get stuck. So this blew my mind when I'll never forget handing my research over to my study chair who said, Debbie, I believe you you know, you've discovered a process here. And what was so exciting about that was now there's this predictable roadmap. If we know where we are and we know physically, mentally, and emotionally what it takes to move from one stage to the next, that means healing from betrayal is now predictable if we're willing. Willingness is the biggest factor. So the first stage is like a setup stage. And I just saw this with every single study participant, me included. And this is where if you imagine four legs of a table, the four legs being physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual, what I saw with everybody was this real heavy lean on the physical and the mental and kind of neglecting the emotional and the spiritual. So what does that look like? Looks like we're really good at thinking and doing and not really prioritizing the feeling and being, but it's in the feeling and being that's where our intuition lies. And we turn that down. That's not to say that if we're busy, you know, thinking and doing to get stuff done, it's a setup for betrayal. It's just what I saw. That was stage one. Stage two, shocked. We're blindsided. D-Day, Discovery Day. And this is the breakdown of the body, the mind, the worldview. This is when that person sort of takes the mask off, showing you who they've really been. It's a shock. It is imprinted on the body and mind. You've ignited the stress response, right? So you're headed for just about every single stress-related symptom, illness, condition, disease. The mind is in a complete and total state of chaos and overwhelm. You cannot uh, wrap your mind around what you just learned. This makes no sense. And your worldview is totally and completely shattered. That's your mental model. These are the rules of the world. These people are safe. Don't go there. This is how it works. And in a moment, everything you've known to maneuver through your life is totally and completely shattered. The rug has been pulled out from underneath you. Terrifying, scariest stage by far. But if the rug were to be pulled out from underneath you and the bottom were to bottom out, what would you do? You would grab hold of anything you could to stay safe and stay alive. And that's stage three, survival instincts emerge. It's the most practical stage. If you can't help me, get out of my way. How will I survive this experience? Who can I trust? Where do I go? What do I do? Here's the trap. Because survival feels so much better than the shock and trauma of where you just were, you get into this survival stage, you figure out how to survive, and you're like, whew, okay, I'm good. Okay, I'm going to figure out how to make this work. And you kind of resign yourself to thinking, this is where I am. You haven't even undergone transformation yet. Now, watch what happens. When you're here, You're not meant to be here a long time, but here's what happens. You start getting all of these small self benefits from being here. You get your story. You get to be right. You get someone to blame. You get a target for your anger. 
You don't have to do the hard work of learning to trust again. That's hard stuff. Do I trust you? Do I trust you? So you're like, I forget it. I won't trust anybody. You get sympathy from everybody you tell your story to. Now you're sort of planting roots there a little bit. And now because you're there, your mind starts doing things like, well, maybe you deserved it. Maybe you're not all that great. Maybe you're not all, you know, you're not all that. And now, because like energy attracts like energy, now you're calling situations and circumstances and people in relationship towards you that confirm this is where you belong. So you're planting even deeper roots. It gets worse. Don't worry, I'll get you out of it. So because this feels so bad, you're not happy with it, but you don't know there's anything better. Here's where we start using things like food, drugs, alcohol, work, TV, keeping busy, anything, because we're not happy, but we don't know what to do with it. So we have just placed ourselves in like a perpetual holding pattern. So think about it. Now we do that and now we turn it into a habit. So we can do this now. It's a day, a week, a month, a year, 5, 10, 20, 30. So when you say to somebody, oh, that emotional eating issue, that's maybe due to your betrayal or that drinking or that numbing, avoiding, distracting. And they're like, are you crazy? That happened 20 years ago. But do you see? That was when that habit started. We just got stuck in it. So this is the place where I see most people get stuck and they have no idea it's because of that uh, traumatic experience, that betrayal or whatever it was that got them all those years ago. Anyway, when you're in this stage three, if you're willing to break those habits, get rid of all the benefits, you know, grieve, mourn the loss. You really have to do some stuff. You move to stage four, and this is finding and adjusting to a new normal. Here's where you acknowledge and accept. I cannot undo my betrayal, but I can control how it affects me. So I always use the example of if you've ever moved to a new house, office, condo, apartment, and you know this, right? Your stuff isn't all there. It's not quite cozy yet, but it's going to be okay. You're turning the stress response down. You're not healing, physically healing just yet, but you're not causing the massive damage you were causing in stage two and stage three. The other thing is, I found this so interesting. If you were to move, you don't necessarily take everything with you. You don't take the stuff that doesn't represent who you want to be in your new space. Here's where I saw a big change in friendships. Your friends weren't there for you. You don't bring them from stage four to stage three to stage four. You've outgrown them. So people say, what the heck? I've had these friends, you know, 10, 20, 30 years. Is it me? Yes. You're transforming. You've just outgrown your friends. Anyway, when we're in this stage and we're making it our new normal and making it cozy, making it safe, getting used to all of it, we move to stage five. And that's healing, rebirth, and a new worldview. The body starts to heal. You didn't have the bandwidth for eating well, exercising, self-love, self-care. You were surviving. Now you do. You're also making new rules and boundaries based on you know where you are right now. And your worldview, entirely new worldview based on your experience. And the four legs of that table in the beginning, it was all about the physical and the mental. Now we're solidly grounded because we're focused on the emotional and the spiritual too. Those are the five stages. That's really incredible. It's really surviving to thriving. And I, I'm curious how many people get so stuck in that third stage that they never move forward. It's almost like enlightenment. They're moving towards enlightenment. If they can get to four and then they can possibly get to five, I would assume that it's probably not the majority of people that make, because it's a choice, right? If they stay stuck in many ways, whether they're conscious of it or not, if they're using food or alcohol or drugs or porn or whatever it is that mm -hmm. people are using as a mm -hmm. distraction, a vice, 
you know, I used to always say that when I was younger as a new nurse practitioner and I would see middle-aged people, that's oftentimes where I would see, I mean, I would see people who seemed a little happy, but you could tell they had lost something had happened to them. And so they were just kind of firmly stuck in there. This is what I do. This is what I do when I go home. This is what I do every night. I don't want to change. You know, they're firmly rooted in where they are and they don't want to move. Exactly. And even if they're not using food, alcohol, drugs, anything to numb, avoid, distract, they're still getting so many benefits from staying stuck, just having that story and all that goes with it. And they have no idea that they could have such a better story. Like, look at my story. The most important people in my life betrayed me. And anybody I told that to would have given me a tremendous amount of sympathy. But I look at it saying, that's it. Like, that's what you have. What kind of story is that when you do something with it? When, you know, otherwise, if you don't, it's like a bad game of hot potato. You know, it's like you just feel like this sucker. Like I was looking at it like I can't be on this planet just to be the poster child for betrayal. There's got to be a reason for this. And when you do something powerful with it, you know, then I look at it it's, as, you know, kind of trauma well served. But we can have such a better story. And the biggest thing is taking what had become our life story and making it that pivotal chapter of our story. That is entirely up to us. But I think people just survive and resign themselves to believing this is as good as it gets. So I better you know, find a way to make this okay. I think limiting beliefs on so many levels can be one of the saddest things to hear from my patients and from my clients, friends and family, people just resign themselves. I mean, the most common one I hear is women are aging, they're middle-aged and they've gained a bunch of weight or they have no energy. Their sleep is terrible. I had one woman who said, my sleep's been bad for 18 years. I just resigned myself to the fact that my sleep was going to be bad. And so, you know, a lot of what I hear you saying is that, you know, for the people who get stuck, they just, they stay in that narrative. And Again, I go back to that father figure, my father, biological father, who, if you talk to him now, he's in his late seventies and he still is parroting about what happened to him in his childhood and who did him wrong in his first marriage. And, you know, sometimes I try to be sympathetic to a point, but I'm like, dad, if you really wanted to work through this, you have opportunities to do that. You just want to stay in that narrative. And so when you're working with your own patients and your own clients, you know, what are some of the strategies that you use to see who's really ready to move that process forward as opposed mm-hmm. to staying stagnant? Yeah. Well, we have an entire membership community that is just, it is designed. There's nothing like it. And it's because I saw what was out there. I saw that people were seeing that therapist and if it you know wasn't the right therapist, that wasn't working or they were numbing and distracting, or they would go to some sort of support group. And when you start feeling better, you don't belong. And I was like, well, none of that makes sense. So before I work with anybody within the community, there's got to be this readiness. And one way I see that is if you can't imagine who you'd be without that story, there is no chance, no chance uh, someone's going to be willing to move forward. And I keep going back to that word willingness. It's the biggest needle mover. It's people ask me all the time, well, how long does healing take? That's not nearly as significant as how willing you are. But if someone is completely resistant and they they're just so stuck in their story. It, they have a right to do that, but that's not the person for me. I, I can't help someone like that. Everybody has a different pace and it can be so incremental and that's fine. You know, it, but I look at it too, as you're only moving in one of two ways, further or closer 
to the body, health, life, lifestyle you want? Like what direction are your thoughts, are your behaviors, are your actions, are your habits moving you? And if you do no more than say, I will strategically do one thing to move me incrementally forward each day, at least that's something. So incredible and how fortunate your patients are to have you and have your guidance. So you had mentioned a little bit earlier about post-portrayal syndrome. And Mm -hmm. so let's kind of unpack that because I would imagine that in and of itself, there are probably people listening who might be stuck in that kind of syndrome itself and would be helpful to have them or have you identify what exactly that entails. Yeah. And that was one of the three discoveries. The other was the five stages. The other is how different this betrayal is when it comes to healing and this state of healing called post-betrayal transformation. I'm happy to talk about that too. But with post-betrayal syndrome, it is that collection of physical, mental, and emotional symptoms that I read you, you know, I read you some of those stats. But what I find so interesting about it is, you know, we have that quiz and there's a question that reads, is there anything else you'd like to share? And people, of course, they're writing their story, the physical, the mental, the emotional symptoms. But what I find even more interesting is we've heard that saying time heals all wounds. When it comes to betrayal, it's simply not true because people write things like my betrayal happened 40 years ago. I could feel the hate. My betrayal happened 30 years ago. I'm never trusting again. My betrayal happened 10 years ago. Feels like it happened yesterday. So we know that when it comes to betrayal, It does not heal, you know, unless we are willing to face it, feel it, heal it. It is not the kind of thing that time may ease it a bit, but, you know, you will have it follow you around like a shadow. And we see it in work, in health, in relationships. It's so clear. Like, for example, I see it in relationships. This is an unhealed betrayal. We see it in one of two ways where someone goes from partner to partner to partner, friend to friend to friend boss to boss to boss. And it's the same thing. The face has changed, but it's the same thing. They say, is it me? Yes, it is. (laughs) You haven't learned that profound lesson that betrayal was there to teach. So you keep getting opportunities to do so. So when I see repeat betrayals, that's an unhealed betrayal. Or there's the other example where someone puts the big wall up. Nope, no one's getting near me again. Been there, done that. Mm -mm. That's an unhealed betrayal. They think they're keeping people out of a distance, at a distance, out of strength, but it's out of fear. They're so afraid of their heart being hurt again. That's an unhealed betrayal. You know, we see it in, in work where people want to ask for that raise or promotion. They deserve it, but their confidence was shattered in the betrayal. So they don't have the confidence to ask, you know, and they're bitter and resentful instead, or they want to be a team player, but you know, the person they trusted the most proved untrustworthy. How can they trust a boss or a coworker or a collaborative partner? They're terrified. It shows up in so many ways. Now, as a clinician, my brain always goes to the thought process. Are there people that are more susceptible to being stuck <laughs> versus being able to move forward? Are there risk factors? Are there things that make people more susceptible to being stuck? I'm finding that as much as people are coming uh, our way into our community who have been blindsided and obviously like they're just in that shock, I believe, and I'm seeing it more and more, there's a greater population of people who are just stuck. And there's really no motivation on their part or they don't even know where they are. Like, I wish I could just say to them, you're only in stage three, there's stage four and five waiting for you. And they'll be like, what are you talking about? But it's so clear. And it's so obvious. So anybody, if you are not maxed out with your, you know, your level of health, 
and joy and love and life, there's a good chance you're stuck. So take a look at that. And if you are, although you may say, well, you know, my that issue, that trail of that family member, partner, friend, coworker, person in authority, self, that happened years ago. It doesn't matter. You found a way to navigate it. And that's where you stayed. And I think one of the things that I'm hearing in, in our discussion today is that even if something happened to you 10, 20, 30 years ago, you can still work through it. It's not as if it's a, oh, this happened so long ago, I can't trust again, or I go from friendship to friendship or job to job or relationship to relationship. You know, what I hear from you is that there's hope. It's just, you have to take those steps to kind of move yourself forward. Not only is there hope, this is predictable. This is entirely on that person. There is nothing. I mean, the proof is in now. The study's been done. The research has been researched. Now it's entirely up to someone. If the, And I'm not saying it's easy. This is the hardest work they'll ever do, but the most rewarding. Because think about it. And actually, this is the difference between healing from betrayal. And I do believe it's one of the most painful of the human experiences because these are the people who gave you that sense of safety and security. Originally, I was studying something called post-traumatic growth, like the upside of trauma. You know how that trauma leaves you with a new awareness, perspective, insight that you didn't have. But I had been through death of a loved one. I lost my mom. I'd been through disease. But I was like, "Mm -mm, betrayal feels so different for me. But I didn't want to assume. So I asked all my study participants and I said, if you've been through something another trauma besides betrayal. Does it feel different? Unanimously. I said, oh my gosh, it's so different. And here's why. Because it feels so intentional, we take it so personally. So the whole self has to be rebuilt. Rejection, abandonment, belonging, confidence, worthiness, trust are all shattered. When we lose someone we love, let's say, we grieve, we're sad, we mourn the loss, but we don't question the love. We don't take it personally. So, you know, the whole self having to be rebuilt, you know, was a different type of healing. So if I had to give an equation, it would look like this. Post-traumatic growth, like the upside of healing from your trauma, plus rebuilding the self equals post-betrayal transformation. That's where you're at, at stage five. Mighty Maca is a superfood drink mix full of 30 plus natural ingredients. And it was formulated by Dr. Anna Kabeca during her healing journey. Mighty Maca Plus ingredients, which include nourishing ingredients like organic maca powder, turmeric, quercetin, broccoli, parsley, trans resveratrol, pomegranate extract, and more, were carefully selected for immune support to sustain energy, provide mental clarity, and improve recovery. It also tastes delicious. It supports healthy detoxification and alkalinity in the body, balances hormones, fights free radicals, and neutralizes lactic acid, all while increasing your energy and vitality. It helps improve your digestion and reignites your libido. It's a powerful superfood drink mix that needs to be part of your daily routine. And Dr. Anna is offering my listeners 10% off your first purchase by using the link DrAnna.com slash Cynthia. That's 10% off your first per that's 10% off your first purchase by using the link DrAnna.com slash Cynthia. It's delicious and nutritious. Today's podcast is sponsored by NutriSense. 
It combines cutting edge technology and human expertise. So you can see how your body responds to different types of nutrition, stress, exercise, sleep, and where you are in your menstrual cycle in real time. And by pairing a continuous glucose monitor with their app and expert nutritional guidance, NutriSense can help you reach your health goals. And the best part is it's not just a program where they send you the CGM and you have to figure it out on your own. Each subscription plan includes one month of free expert nutritionist support. Your nutritionist will work with you one-on-one interpreting your data and providing customized advice to help you reach your health goals. The last time I had my CGM on, my registered dietitian and I troubleshooted over some specific concerns that I had. And whether you're aiming to lose weight, stabilize your energy, or just feel better overall, NutriSense offers the guidance and support you need. And lasting sustainable change takes time and can be achieved through a longer term subscription. That's why I encourage my patients and clients to consider three, six, or 12-month subscriptions where it's actually less expensive and allows you to not only achieve your goals, but also to ensure that you stick to your healthy lifestyle for the long term. As I've mentioned before, I have found the CGMs I've used through NutriSense to be incredibly insightful, specifically to carbohydrate tolerance. I would not have known that plantains spiked my blood sugar without this information. It's also been hugely helpful for tailoring to workouts and sleep quality. And so for me, even though I am metabolically healthy, I find the insights to be particularly helpful to tailor my lifestyle changes to my blood sugar. Visit NutriSense.io slash EWP and use the code EWP for $30 off plus one month of free nutritionist support. Be sure to let them know you're a listener of the Everyday Wellness Podcast when they ask you how you heard about them. This is one of my favorite ways to take care of my health and one of my top recommendations for all of my patients and clients. And how many of your clients as they're kind of going through this transition, I would imagine it's a small percentage of people who go from being stuck in stage three to working through stage four and stage five. But I would also imagine those are the people that are embracing their life and really enjoying their life. And it's, I feel like so much of life and gosh knows 2020 has been Tough on everyone. There's no one that's listening that doesn't feel like 2020 just kind of turned us all upside down. But, you know, when we're looking at a a continuum of our lifetime, and yes, there are micro traumas that occur. I don't think anyone is, is oblivious to that, but we can really appreciate how the betrayal piece is so unique. And yet, you know, we can take something that's so negative and make ourselves stronger and better and more connected to, like you said, you were talking about that four-legged stool Mm -hmm. and how when people first go through this trauma, they're very focused on the to-do list, the physical stuff. And we're neglecting, you know, kind of the emotional, spiritual side, which I think is the side that, as you mentioned, is a lot of it's intuition, but I also Mm -hmm. think it's the side that it's the higher level processing. You know, we're not stuck in lizard brain we're able to do more higher level processing so we can enjoy and express gratitude and, you know, kind of savor where we are. All of that. And, you know, I'm so glad you brought that up just even about 2020, because that's the perfect example of you're seeing how people show up now just with COVID, with the election, with all of these things, people feel so betrayed, betrayed by their health, betrayed by the government, betrayed by life. Right. And you're seeing some people who are stuck 
you know, where someone's saying, well, of course I gain weight. It's COVID. Of course, I can't get out of my house. Of course, of course, of course. And then you see that stage three in an example like that. And then you see people who are like, I never had time to clean my house, to come up with these new projects, to spend time with family, to write that book. I took such advantage of that. That's somebody who's taken the same exact situation and used it to move to that stage four, where some people will stay. They will blame everything going wrong in their life, let's say on COVID, let's say on government, let's say on anything. And then there are those other people who look at it and say, you know what? Okay, this happened. I can't undo it, but I can control what I do with it. It's the same example, you know, when it comes to betrayal, same thing. And it's interesting that you pivoted a little bit on that as well, because I was having a conversation. I have a 15 year old, a 13 year old at home. I have one who's starting to get to a point. I mean, he clearly he's 15 years old trying to, he's in honors classes. And he finally just said, I don't like having to be in school at home. And, you know, the rates of COVID are going up in our area. And I'm kind of heartbroken to say that we might not be going back to school in in January. Mm -hmm. And so really trying to reframe things. Okay, so we can't get you back into physical school, but it sounds like you need more support in these two classes. So constantly reframing, like, let's plan a vacation for, you know, when this new normal, and I hate using that phrase, this new normal is evolving to something else. Mm -hmm. And I think it's trying to see that it's not being Mm Pollyanna-ish, but it's saying like, let's view the glass half full as opposed to half empty. And so really, especially with children at home, Mm -hmm. um, really trying to reframe things and not being, you know, being honest with them about, you know, this is my concern. This is what might happen this winter. We're in a rental house. We're building a house in another city. We've sold our house. And you know, so much of the way we view our world is so much a part of how we choose to view our world. And Mm -hmm. it's a conscious choice. We can wallow in self-pity or we can pull ourselves up and say, okay, this is not the way things are going to be long-term. Exactly. And this is why you could see just even by what you just shared, that is classic stage four moving to stage five. And it's not even stage four after traumatic experience. It's just how you roll. You know, here was COVID. It happened. You know, you sold your house. You did what you needed to do. And you're like, okay, well, that's done. And what's the next stage? And with stage four, naturally, you move into stage five. So that's the way that works. But you could have just as easily said, you're right, you know son, this is the worst thing ever. And let's just cry about it. And it's so terrible. And now that we're stuck, let's just make it worse. (laughs) And added all these reasons onto it. And it could have been absolutely the most negative experience that just kept your entire family stuck. Yeah. And it's interesting because I was thinking about this this morning as I was in the shower, which I seem to be one of those people. I do a lot of thinking in the shower Mm -hmm. and I was reflecting on the fact that we were connecting today. And I kept thinking, you know, this is one of those times that our grandchildren and our children's children will talk about because, you know, just like the pandemic of 1918. And, you know, I remember my grandmother who has long since passed away, but she was as a nurse mentioned what that experience was like as a child. And so, you know, I think to myself, are we creating resiliency in our loved ones or friends by how we are showing up during a pandemic and an election year and all sorts of things that we don't have control over, or are we, you know, imprinting our generation or our children or our grandchildren, et cetera, with kind of this fear-based mentality. And so 
I'm curious, you know, what your thoughts are on this. I know, you know, this isn't the whole focus of our time together, but, you know, as we were kind of talking about more current events, it occurred to me that that might be an interesting kind of segue into Mm -hmm. the next piece of our conversation. Yeah, I think we're seeing both of those sides. We're seeing all of it. We're really seeing what we're made of. We're being tested. Mm -hmm. And there's a reason why more people than ever are drinking or there's a rise in domestic violence. And there's because people just they were so busy escaping themselves and now they can't or they're struggling to. And we're forced, there's like a big reckoning going on. We're forced to face ourselves and we will desperately, some will desperately try not to, and others will use the opportunity to do just that. And there are so many different types of transformations going on. You know, closeness in families that people have been craving and waiting for, that's happening too. Like I look at, I have four kids, they're best friends. They're all spending time together using this opportunity to just, they can't see friends. They can't see other people. So they're all hanging out together. You know, as a mom, does it get better than that? Right. So I'm looking at them and what, how they're moving through it, but you're seeing people who are clearly all over the map with this. Some are absolutely unwilling to accept this, to move through it. And it's like a tree, you know, the ones who are unwilling to bend break. And the ones who bend do, they're more flexible. So I think it's a real question about how do we want to show up with this? How do we want to emerge from this and and look back and say, this is who I was. Like I look at it, I'm more social than ever because I'm on Zoom all day. (laughs) So, you know, I'm looking at it too. Like I only have to iron or seam the front of my shirts, (laughs) whatever. So how are we moving through this? It's telling a lot about our willingness and just what we're, who we want to become, who do we want to be after all this is done? Absolutely. Well, it's been such a pleasure connecting with you today. How can my followers find you? How can they find your book, which I just purchased? I'm so excited to dive into. How can we find you on social media or your website? Yeah, I'd say the best thing to do, take that post-betrayal syndrome quiz to see to what level you're struggling. They could just find that at the PBT as in post-betrayal transformation, the pbtinstitute.com forward slash quiz. Awesome. Well, it's been such a pleasure. I look forward to connecting with you again. I'm so glad to hear that you and your family are thriving. I know that uh, this year has definitely thrown us a curveball, and I'm not sure if all your children are on one coast or another, hopefully they're all together, which I'm sure makes it a whole lot easier to spend time with one another. Yeah. Thank you so much. And really thanks. It's people like you that give people like me a voice to share this information. Thank you, my friend. Thanks for listening to Everyday Wellness. If you loved this episode, please leave us a rating and review, subscribe, and remember, tell a friend. And if you want to connect with us online, visit the link in the show notes. Just as you carefully choose the cut of meat or freshness of produce that you cook at home, you should carefully choose chemical-free cookware that provides a healthy and safe cooking experience. The materials in 360 cookware are safe, sustainable, and of the highest quality. Their cookware is 100% free from any toxic chemicals as the company produces quality stainless steel cookware and bakeware without added chemicals, and all are manufactured in the United States. It's also the leading manufacturer that equips kitchens with cookware and bakeware that are free of all of the toxic chemicals and coatings, including PFAS, Teflon, and ceramic. 
And the best thing is that when used properly, the product's construction provides nonstick properties in a product that can be passed down through generations. Go to www.360cookware.com and use code CYNTHIA20 for 20% off your first order. Again, that's 360cookware.com and use code CYNTHIA20 for 20% off your first order. We've been using their products over the last several months and have really been pleased with not only the durability, but ease of cleanliness.